Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. And uh, this is part three on a message series that I'm doing on biblical morality, what the Bible says about homosexuality. And uh, and I hope that you've enjoyed this message. I hope you've uh, learned some things, and I hope that it's guided you in your understanding of this very important subject. And it's so important because when we look at where our culture is, the reason we need to talk about this is because we are being impacted and influenced from many different directions. I would say pretty much all directions when it comes to this subject. And so uh, this is part three. If you missed the first two parts of the broadcast, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557. Or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast. And if you go to our church website, hrcc7.org, you can click on the listen to the broadcast and you can pull up the first two parts of the broadcast that we've done. So let's dive right into this subject today. And uh, Lord, give us your wisdom, give us your guidance as we look at this subject today. May our hearts be opened to the Word of God. May our hearts be opened to those who struggle and those who need deeper understanding on this subject. And Lord, most importantly, we want to give you the glory for everything that we say and do today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I look at this subject of biblical morality, I want to begin by understanding that God has a certain design. And if you have trouble understanding God's design, it's because you uh, really are not tuned in with the book of Genesis. And one of these days, I'm going to give a whole study on the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, right? Uh, That's what the word Genesis means. And as we look at how God began humanity, there are two major divides that we have. We have the original creation. When we were created without sin, we were created in perfection. Adam was without sin. He was created perfect. And then God gave him a perfect spouse uh, who was also created in the image of God. And God brought them two together. They became one flesh. Sex predates the fall of humanity. So in order to understand this whole concept of sex, you really need to take it back to God's original design. And God's original design is that there's a complementary nature, and he created a male and female, brought them together. But then the fall takes place. And the fall changes everything. Because of the fall, we think differently. We're falling apart. We were never intended to die. But because of the fall, uh, one day we're going to die physically. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, the whole reason I do this broadcast is so that you can enter into a saving knowledge of Christ and so that you don't have to die spiritually. Now, listen, most of us are all going to die physically. Our body's going to get older. Uh, If you live to be 100 years, that's pretty amazing. Most of us are not going to live to be past 100 years of age. Our physical bodies are going to stop. And it doesn't really matter how well you take care of yourself. Listen, I'm all about taking care of yourself, so don't take what I'm saying wrong here. But you can get a new heart, new lungs, new kidneys, and I promise you, you're not going to live any longer. You're still going to be leaving your body within 100 years or so. So we take care of our bodies because it's the temple of God. It's where the Spirit of God resides. And so we should take care of our bodies when it comes to matters of how to live our lives. There's a major divide between how God created us and the original creation design, and then we have the fall of humanity. So the majority of God's Word is dealing with a fallen people, and the purpose of God's Word is to instruct us 
how to have a relationship with God, even though we are broken, even though sin has separated us from him. He so longs to have a relationship with us. Now, that kind of blows my mind when I think about it. Uh, Do you have anybody in your life uh, that you just soon not have a relationship with? I think we all do. And because of our fallen nature, we have conflict, we have brokenness, we have mayhem in our lives, and uh, we have people that we don't get along with that great because we are highly flawed individuals, and evil is present. But God's original plan was that we would be able to live in complementary relationship with one another. So we, we spent a lot of time talking about that in the broadcast the two previous days. But when we look at the fall. And because of the fall, God had to create laws because the fall caused chaos. We went from order to disorder. But because God loved us and wanted to give us a second chance, he said, okay, we we have to have some kind of order. And to show that we have lost order, I'm giving you the law. Now, the law was never intended to create a way of declaring us righteous. The law did just the opposite. God gave us the law to show that we are lawbreakers. I guess you could kind of say, if you're driving on Interstate 64 right now, I believe in most parts of 64, uh, the posted speed limit uh, is 55 or 65. It changes in a couple different places. But if you go over the posted speed limit and you get pulled over, uh, you are a lawbreaker. Now, there's no law against going a certain speed. You can drive as fast as you want. You're not going to get a ticket. You're not going to break the law. But the law indicates that you have broken the design that was created. So when we look at how the fall changes everything, now God has got these rules to show that we are lawbreakers. For example, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is a disgrace. So this is a law that now is broken. And then Leviticus 20 says, uh, if you lie with a man as a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. This is a law that is broken. So uh, we got to figure out when we look at this, are these laws given? And as they're given, does this mean that there's certain things that we can counter, that we're designed a certain way so the law doesn't apply? And the reason I make this point is because a lot of people believe now Uh, that they were born a certain way, so the law doesn't apply to them. And so I pointed out in the broadcast yesterday uh, some tests that they have done, uh, some surveys that they have done uh, to discover that although we were born in sin, we haven't been able to find a gene that is what you would call a homosexual or a same-sex gene. Uh, So when it comes to the matter of acting, I I know certain people have propensities for certain sins. Can I be honest with you? There's a lot of things that I feel by nature I am leaning toward this particular sin. Uh, My big uh, sin that I struggle with is I love to eat, and I'm convinced that there there must be a fat gene out there somewhere that I got. Uh, that causes me to want to eat when I'm happy, eat when I'm sad, and eat when I'm bored. I mean, I don't know what it is, but but I have that tendency. Maybe maybe you don't have that struggle. Uh, and if you don't, uh, thank the Lord for it. And that's a big struggle because, you know, uh, with that struggle, I mean, you have to eat to live. 
It's not like, ah, I'm just going to abstain from all food. Uh, no, I have to have food to live, but yet I also have this unhealthy attraction for food. Uh, so was I born with that nature? I would probably say, no, I, I do have a sin gene in me. We all have a sinful nature, uh, but I was raised in a family uh, that celebrate. I mean, what are you doing if you're a Christian, right? You don't drink, smoke, chew, or run with the girls who do. Uh, so what do you do? You eat, right? Uh, when we have funerals, we eat. And when we're sad, when we're, when we're grieving, we eat. When we are uh, celebrating, what do we do? Everybody come on over, we're going to have a barbecue, right? And so when you're bored, I, I don't want to do I'm going to open up the refrigerator to find something to eat, okay? Because eating was one of those things uh, that was something that we did as a family, okay? So I don't have a sin gene that says that I'm a person that is attracted to food, I've made decisions on that, and now I struggle with that. So when you think about how we were born, if you're born a certain way, you cannot make a change in that area of your life. If you were born Hispanic, you're going to be Hispanic. If you were born male, you're going to be male. Uh, now, people try to make these changes, uh, but that's not how you were born. Uh, you were born with certain uh, ways of, of living, right? So we can't find a homosexual gene. When we look at the Bible, there are two categories of Testament laws. You have the ceremonial laws and you have the moral laws. It's so important that we understand and make this distinction. Ceremonial laws were given specifically for God's people for a particular time, but they were fulfilled in Christ. So the book of Leviticus, for example, is a book of ceremonial laws, but also mixed in there are moral laws. How do we know the difference between the two? Well, moral laws are for all people, and they're repeated in the New Testament. An example of moral laws would be the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, thou shalt not take the Lord your God's name in vain. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Those Ten Commandments, okay, those are moral laws. They're all repeated within the New Testament. They're universal for all times. They don't become antiquated. They don't become outdated. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law. What is he talking about? He says, I have come to fulfill the ceremonial laws. And that would be the laws regarding dietary issues, the laws regarding issues of animal sacrifice. Why? They were fulfilled in Christ. The moral laws were carried also into the New Testament. Now, the only one of the moral laws of the Ten Commandments that slightly changed was the remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Now, the reason that one was changed is because Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath law, and now we celebrate and worship the Lord on the first day of the week because Jesus rose again from the dead on the first day of the week, but we're still to take the concept of sabbatical rest in keeping a day holy to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and to give our bodies rest. So I hope I'm not confusing you on that. Now, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus, when it comes to the matter of sexual relationships, has a reservation based upon a moral law, based upon design, that it's to be reserved for a man and a woman who are united in marriage. And you can read the words for Jesus himself. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, Jesus goes back to Genesis, and he quotes 
what is written in Genesis. And he says, haven't you read at the beginning, the creator made male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God hath joined together, let no one separate. So first, Jesus goes back to creation design. But second, as we look at this subject, Jesus didn't mention homosexuality. He didn't condemn it in this passage. Now, the reason he didn't have to condemn it in this passage is because he was a Jewish rabbi who fully supported what the Old Testament taught on this subject. The prohibition against homosexual practices would have been given if Jesus didn't support it. He would have mentioned that, that he didn't support that prohibition. Now, let me add one other, that Jesus was not shy about disagreeing with religious traditions of his day, if he thought they were wrong. He didn't disagree with the homosexual prohibition. If he did, he would have spoke out against it. Now, he spoke out a lot against traditions, but he never spoke out against that one. Third, there are other sins that we don't have a written record of Jesus condemning. For example, he never condemned rape or drunkenness or incest. But we know for certain that Jesus believed these things were terribly wrong because they were all condemned in the Old Testament. But there's no teaching of Jesus on these subjects recorded in the Gospels. So I want to put that down as kind of foundational in understanding the difference between ceremonial laws and moral laws. But there's another point that we've got to look at. When I think about sin, and you can challenge me on this, but idolatry is the root of all sin. And I'm not just talking about moral sins. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, for example, verses 21 to 27. Let's walk through this passage together. Verse 21, Paul is writing to the Roman believers, and he begins by saying in verse 21, although they knew God. Now, he points out that they knew God. They were part of the church at Rome. They, they knew God of God. Now, before we go too far on that, there's a difference between knowing God and God knowing you. Jesus himself said that many were in that day, and uh, as they're doing great works, they were doing it in Jesus' name. They knew God, but they didn't glorify God. They were able to cast out demons in the name of God, without God knowing them. And so Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. You know me, but I don't know you. So salvation involves not just knowing about God, but God knowing you as well. And so Paul says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. In other words, they had a small letter G God. They lowered God to the point that they did not glorify God as creator, sustainer, savior, Lord of all. They didn't glorify God, nor did they give thanks to him. So we see two things happening here. We see the refusal to worship and glorify God, We see the no longer of giving thanks to him, 
Uh, listen, an unthankful heart is an ungrateful heart, and an ungrateful heart doesn't glorify God. They didn't give thanks to God. Their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What did they begin to do? They began to create a God in their own image. Their thinking became futile. Their hearts were darkened because they refused to glorify God. Listen, when you refuse to glorify God, you're going to glorify something else. Most importantly, you're going to start to glorify yourself, and as a result, your heart will become darkened. He continues on, verse number 22. Although they claimed to be wise, and in some ways they were wise. When I look at this little phrase, they became or they claimed to be wise, those who live in a lifestyle of any kind of immorality, uh, it's not that you're stupid. It's not that you are lacking insight. You have a lot of insight. You have a lot of intellectual capacity. But here, it says they became fools. Why did they become fools? They took a high level of intellect and applied it and exchanged the glory of the immoral mortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, Paul is saying a mouthful here. He is telling us here that they took the glory that should have been to God and they transitioned that glory into images. And these images were in the mortal image of human beings. In other words, God who created mankind in his image to reflect his glory, now because there's a rejection of the glory of God who created them, now these mortal human beings are creating gods in their own image, an image of birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in sinful desire of their hearts. And what does he give them over to? Sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. In other words, God says, okay, you really want to do this? You really want to reject my glory? You really want to be ungrateful for me? I'm going to allow your thinking to change. I'm going to allow you to continue on living in a self-proclaimed way of intellectual living, but you're really going to become foolish. You're going to create gods in your own image, and I'm going to give you over to your desires. In other words, God is letting them go. Uh, You want to live that way long enough, and maybe you've done this as a parent. Oh, you want to uh, do that bad enough? I've told you not to do it. I've warned you about doing it. I can't stop you from doing it. I guess go ahead and do it. Now, God could stop them from doing it, but he says, if you want to do that bad enough, I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. I'm going to allow you to go down that path of sexual impurity for the degrading of your bodies with one another. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And I get that point right there. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. That's why we have people that will attempt to twist the scriptures to believe whatever they want to believe. And Paul says, and they worshiped and they served and created things rather than the creator who is forevermore to be praised. Paul says, this is what has happened. They wanted to worship the creation 
and loved the creation, loved Mother Earth, but they didn't want to love the one who created it, the one who should be forever praised. Verse 26, because of all this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Now, Paul does something very unusual here. Uh, He knows his audience, and under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, even their women exchanged natural sexual relationships for unnatural ones. And now he mentions the women first. And, and as I was studying the Roman culture at this time, uh, that they were receiving this letter from Paul, I learned that in that culture, homosexuality was running rampant, but it was only acceptable for men. A man could have another man, but a woman could not have another woman. And so here Paul says, even the women exchanged the natural sexual relationships for unnatural ways. And he says, in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves the due penalty for their error. So what is happening? The reflection of idolatry idolatry being the root of all sin, because of idolatry, it segues into sexual immorality. You see, our big problem is not immorality, sexual immorality. Our big problem is idolatry. Idolatry is the root of all sin. And if you reject God long enough, God will allow you to go down to a path that you never thought you'd go. He'll allow you to go down that path because he refuses to have no other gods before me. You know the first moral commandment that was given? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And if we get that one wrong, all the others are going to take place. We will steal. We will lie. We will be involved in adultery. All because we have something that has taken the place of God. That's why I stand firm on the fact that idolatry is the root of all sin. It goes way back to Adam and Eve. Do you remember when Adam fell into sin? The temptation was that God is holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him. So idolatry is the root of sin. Number two is is separation from God has consequences. And then number three is that holiness and sound doctrine are corrupted by sin. Well, I'm just about out of time, and I didn't get to cover all the verses that I wanted to cover. But I want you to know that if you're listening to me, God promises freedom. You can be set free from the punishment of sin. The same guy who wrote Romans chapter 1 also wrote Romans chapter 8. And he says, verse number 1, There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you want to be set free from the sin of idolatry, come to Christ. He's not going to condemn you. He's going to forgive you, and he's going to set you free. He doesn't want you to be under the slavery of sin. He wants you to be set free. God also promises us that we can be set free from the power of sin. The same guy who wrote Romans chapter 1, who wrote Romans chapter 8, also wrote Romans 6.22. But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. 
Now, the benefit that you reap is holiness, which results in everlasting life. Oh, I want you to know, you can also be set free from the pleasures of sin. Listen, the pleasures of immorality is a cheap substitute for the true pleasures that you can have in Christ. The psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I want you to know that God can bring satisfaction to your soul. The psalmist also said in Psalm 107, He satisfies the thirsty, and he fills the hungry with good things. Listen, you can be in the presence of God and enjoying the pleasures of a relationship with Him. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I am praying for you. And if I can pray for you specifically, I want to give you my cell phone number. You can text me. That number is 252-267-2365. Oh, it'd be my honor to pray for you and lift you up, my brothers and sisters in Christ. If you'd like my team to pray for you, I'll put you on our prayer list. That number one more time, 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for tuning in today. God bless you. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. And if I can help you in any other way, feel free to reach out to me. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.